0: Was a little bit of time off there to spend with the family, and Richard did a good teaching there on the temptations of Jesus. So we're back in Second Corinthians. And actually two weeks ago we couldn't have church because the parking lot was completely underwater. So it's been a few weeks here since we've been in Second Corinthians. Now, as always, and you hear me say this all the time as we get ready to go through a study, these books were written with the idea of reading through in one continuous flow. Chapters 8 and 9 go together perfectly. I know we only have about a half hour here on Wednesday nights. I'd really like to cover the whole two chapters if we can. You don't want to go so fast that you skip things, but at the same time, you don't want to chop it up so much that you lose the flow. you got to find that balance. So hopefully, Lord willing, time willing, we can do chapters 8 and 9 tonight. Now. Chapters 8 and 9, I'm going to give you a forewarning. This is one of the touchiest subjects in all Christianity, if not the touchiest subject in all Christianity. We're going to talk about money tonight. People hate it when you talk about money at church, which I don't really fully understand or grasp, but it's about money, and it's about our hearts, and the idea of giving and understanding and trusting what God wants to do. It's amazing. As a pastor, people come up to me and share their deepest, darkest sins, struggles, you name it. They're open about everything soon as finances come up, people get really picky about talking about that subject, which is fascinating because a lot of the examples that Christ used were examples of what? Money. That's a fact of life. We live in a world that where money pays the bills, you get paid, money is everywhere. So God says in these two chapters, he wants to know where is our heart when it comes to finances. Look here in 2 Corinthians 8 9. As always, we try to find the key verse. Key verse tonight is going to be in verses 12 through 15 of chapter 9. Key verses are 12 through 15 of chapter 9. It says, For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God, while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them And all men and by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace, God, in view. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the key. Why do we have a heart of giving? Because, number one, look at verse 12. Our giving supplies the needs of the saints, verse 12. I want to make this clear, and I will repeat this point numerous times tonight. God is not broke. It's not that God needs your money. God does not want your money. He just does not want you to want your money. And so, therefore, he is not broke. And I've I've heard that. I remember when I first got saved, and I can remember listening to the radio, Christian radio station. I don't even know if it's still up and running. But the guy got on there, and it sounds like I'm exaggerating, am I not? But he got up there and he'd say, like, we only have enough money to go for 20 more minutes. And somebody would call in and give a donation. and Like, okay, we can stay on the air now for another hour. And they just made it this desperate plea and cry where it made it sound like God was, like, lifting up the cushions in the couch looking for quarters and pennies. That's not the way it is. I heard somebody say one time, as it says in the book of Psalms, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Not only does he own the cattle, he also owns the hills that the cattle's on. He's, he's okay. So the why we give is because it helps supplies the needs of the saints, verse 12. And the other reason we give is look at the end of verse 12, and the beginning of verse 13. Thanksgivings are made to God, and God is glorified. That's part of the reason we give. To meet the needs of the saints, and thanksgivings to God, and God is glorified. Keep those thoughts in the back of your mind as we get ready now to talk about this idea of finances. Jump back now to Second Corinthians chapter 8, and let's jump into this. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Now that's a fancy big verse, and really what it's saying is even though... It was tight for them, even though it was difficult for them. They abounded in riches by their giving. See, money is very black and white. I, I have a degree in finance, so money is either there or it's not there. It's just black and white. But yet, there's this concept in the Bible which is just really doesn't make sense to us. That concept in the Bible in verse 2 is, even though they're poor, they're rich. Did you catch that? Look at the end of verse four. Verse 2, their deep poverty abounded in the riches. That doesn't make any sense. Just like in Second Corinthians 12 where, God, where Paul wrote, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Some of the richest people we know in the world are people that are materially, materialistically not wealthy in any way whatsoever. Their riches are in Christ. Their riches are in the Lord. In fact, when I was looking at this idea of riches, this idea of riches just keeps on going and going. In the book of Ephesians alone, it talks about the riches of His grace, the riches of His glory, the unsearchable riches. When you are a born-again believer in Christ, you have unsearchable riches in Christ. Now, that may not be a materialistic riches, but it's the spiritual riches that matter most. Just like we know people in this world that are materialistically rich, but they're spiritually poor. What Paul is saying here is, you may be in deep poverty, but you have riches that you don't even know and you don't even realize. Verse 3, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. God says, I want you to give according to your ability. Verse 3. According to your ability. Let's build on that a little bit. Turn, if you will to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. Now, as you go to 1 Corinthians 16, the thought comes up of why are we dealing with the subject of money? Because I will tell you, in the 12 years I've been a pastor out here, a lot of the counseling I do when it comes to marriage counselings and stresses in marriage, one of the big stresses is finances. I mean, it really is. Now, you don't want to admit this, but how many of you and your spouse have got a little tense with each other over issues of money? It happens. It pops up. So God says very simply, I may be lord of this area in your life, I may be lord of this area in your life, but am I a lord of this area too, of the finances? God says he wants us to give according to our ability. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also, on the first day of the week, which was Sunday, let each one of you lay aside something storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you prove by your letters, I will send to bear your gifts to Jerusalem. But if it's fitting that I go also, they go with me. So God says he wants us to be planned out, verse 2, that you're going to give, lay aside something as he may prosper. Each one will give Differently if you've been blessed with the job where more money comes in God says well there is an expectation for you to Give more if you're in an area where the money is not as much coming in Well, then therefore you go with what you can with your ability Now the question always comes up of what's the baseline when it comes to this I will tell you this. This is my personal opinion. I've heard numerous teachings on this. You may agree You may disagree. I think a tithe is a good baseline I think that's a biblical concept there, and I know for Dawn and I, that's what we do, is we tithe off of our gross income right there, and I think that's a nice baseline. There's times where the Lord leads to help out more in other areas, and so you give more, because you may have that ability to prosper, and hey, we've been blessed with this, we want to bless somebody else. Now, what generally happens, though, with giving, and this happens a lot, you see at verse 2, you're supposed to lay aside something. Now, we joke about this a lot. Now, there's no passing of the plate out here at at Harvest. You know, we've talked about that numerous times. That's not something we believe in that someone should feel forced to give. The the box is back there on the back. And, you know, we trust that the Lord will speak to your heart on that. But how many times have you gone to a church knowing that they're going to pass the plate and you feel like you have to obligated to put something in? And so you're fumbling through your wallet or your purse and you're looking for something. You want to at least stick something in so that way you don't look like an absolute heathen but the only thing you have in your wallet is a 20. Well, you don't want to give them a 20. That's way too much. You're looking for a couple dollars that you can fold up so it looks bigger. You know. And this is what happens. And Paul is saying, no, that's not how you do this. Giving is part of what you do. It's part of your budget. It's part of how you look at it. It's the God is God of your finances, so therefore it's not like, well, I don't know, i got a 5 in my wallet, might as well stick it in. No, God says we want you to be planned out in this area because this is an area of your life. And I will tell you this, when you get your area of your finances in order, my goodness, a lot of other things fall into place. It really does. When you look at it with this word, the Bible uses this word called stewardship. You realize the money is not mine. It's God's. And so therefore, if the money is God's, he's asking for X amount back, well... I want to be a wise steward of his money. I'm just the caretaker of it. And so therefore, I plan ahead. I seek the Lord how he, how he wants us to give. So we give according to our ability. But yet, note in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 8, some of them gave beyond their ability. Now, this is what we're used to in Christianity, aren't we? The guy on the radio, the guy on the TV, the guy that's promising if you plant a seed gift of X amount of dollars, all this is all of a sudden going to happen. They make God sound like some great stock investor. You just plant $1,000 into this ministry and God will give you a tenfold return. No, it, God is not an investor. That's not how it works. Or this idea, and I remember distinctly seeing this one one time where this guy had a coin. And it said right on the coin, power to give wealth coin. And you kept this coin in your pocket and it had a verse out of Deuteronomy on it. And you carried this around. And I'm thinking, how many people flipping through the stations look at this and say, that's what Christianity is. How many times have you heard that? They just want my money. The truth of the matter is, some churches do just want your money. I firmly do believe that. When you look at it from the biblical concept of what God is saying, God is not begging, He's not pleading for your money. He says, this is part of your Christian walk and what a blessing it is. Do you give sometimes beyond your ability? Well, sometimes you do. What happens in those areas? Turn to Malachi chapter 3, please. Let's talk about what happens when you go beyond your ability, if you will. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Great passage here on the idea of giving. And what happens when God leads to go beyond the ability there? Is God going to leave you high and drive? No. Look at Malachi 3, verse 8. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what ways have we robbed you? And tithes and offerings. You are cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. So try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be not enough room to receive it. If you look in the Bible, my understanding of this, correct me if I'm wrong, the only time you see in the Bible where God says, Test me, because it actually says in the book of Deuteronomy, Do not put the Lord thy God to the test. Well, the only time you see God saying, test me, is in the area of finances where he says, if you put me first in your finances, he goes, I will always meet your needs. I will always take care of you. I could give testimony after testimony of just dawn in me in my personal life, how God has blessed us and taken care of us, and and, and to God be the glory for that. I cannot stress that to you enough. He will take care of you. So it's all about the money, right? Well, look at verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 8, imploring us with much urgency that we receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. See, it's not all about the money. There's more to it. It's about the fellowship. It's about being the body. It's about how when you give something to this church or to whatever ministry you're supporting, that ministry is going out there and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ with that. I mean, if you've never looked, look at our missionary bulletin board out there by the sound room door. When the money is given to this church, yes, it takes care of the church itself, meeting the needs, paying the staff, paying for the electricity, but a lot of it is also given out to local needs and also to the world that the gospel is being spread. You may have never met any of those missionaries that we support, but there's a fellowship in the idea of supporting them and being there with them. They're part of a bigger collective group of seeing the gospel get spread. Verse 5, And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. See, when you give, in verse 5, you're giving to God. See, first they gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. See, if some ministry or pastor makes it sound like I have to support him, There's an issue there. We support the Lord and the Lord's work of what he wants to do. And it's part of our walk. Jump ahead to verse 7. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. This is part of a mature believer, is this area of the finances. Paul is saying this is one part of your walk with the Lord. But we don't look at it as part of our walk, do we? But Paul says it's part of your everything. That you abound in this grace. Like I said, Jesus talked about money all the time. I remember one time a quote by Larry Burkett. He goes, "If you really want to see what a Christian's like, he goes, take a look at their checkbook. A checkbook will reveal a lot about a person. The reason the church gets a bad rap is because people present it as God is broke. They don't present it as this is part of your walk with Christ." And Jesus himself set the example for this. Look at verses 8 and 9. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was poor, yet for your sakes he became rich, that through his poverty might become rich. See, Jesus set the example. He was the ultimate giver of sacrifice. He went from riches in heaven to poverty on this earth. So therefore, we could become rich like him. And I mean riches in the sense of spiritual riches. And once again, that's what Ephesians said. We have the riches of His grace. We have the riches of His glory. We have unsearchable riches. In fact, in Matthew chapter 8, it says, The Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. heard a teaching one time when the pastor said, He goes, try to find a place in the Bible where Jesus spent a night inside. doesn't look like maybe He did. That Jesus left the riches of heaven to come down to the poverty of this earth. He is the ultimate example of giving. He's the ultimate example of realizing that. So what's the first step when it comes to giving, verse 10? Realize the blessing that comes out of it, verse 10. And in this I give advice, it is to your advantage, not only to be doing what you've begun, but were are desiring to do a year ago. Let's just be selfish for a second. You get something out of giving. I, that's just the truth. Now, if that's your motive, we need to talk about that. But the truth of the matter is, you get something out of giving. I can tell you right now, and I've shared with you before, testimony after testimony, that God is faithful. He meets our needs. He provides for Dawn and I. I cannot stress that to you enough. And so therefore, when we give, when we, we set aside that money at the beginning of the month to say, Lord, that's yours, we don't look at it as some type of question. We don't look at it as, man, this could really pay a head on this. Or we don't. No, it's the Lord's. He takes it. But at the same time, too, we never give saying, okay, yeah, God, what are you going to do now? We just trust that He's going to meet our needs and He's going to take care of us. So Paul says in verse 10, it's to your advantage to do this. He tells us in verse 11, but you must complete it. Look at this verse 11. But you now also must complete the doing of it. That is, there was a readiness to desire it so that you also may have a completion of what you have. Paul says, just don't talk about it. Just don't desire it. He goes, but do it. Verse 12, for if there was first a willing mind, is accepted according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Isn't that what keeps people from giving? Because they focus on what they do not have instead of what they have. Their, their faith is limited in that area to trust to see the bigger picture. And giving is not looked at as a blessing, it's looked at as a burden. Verses 13 and 14, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. Is that how we look at giving? Wait a second. I'm giving to this group to help them and I'm making a sacrifice. So yeah, so they got it all nice and comfy. They're eased. I'm burdened. That's not fair. Now look at verse 14, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack. That their abundance may also supply your lack. There may be equality. There may be a time where you're the one giving. There may be a time where you're the one receiving. God says the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. Now note I said supposed to work. Because a lot of times you don't see it working this way. That there may be a time where you can help. There also may be a time where you can be helped later on. A lot of times when we help somebody out here at church, they usually say something like, man, I never thought I'd be in this position. I never wanted to do this, and I just feel awful taking this. And we usually say, hey, we give this to you in the love of Christ, and we also say, you know what? You may be helped right now, but once you get yourself back up on the feet, you may be able to bless somebody else later. That's the way it's supposed to work, is that when you have abundance, you help those that are in lack, and when you're in lack, hopefully there's someone with their abundance that is helping you along that same way too. Remember, it's not us, it's God. Jump ahead real quick. Verses 16 through 24 is the practicality of this gift. See, what was happening, the church of Corinth was presenting this gift, and this gift was going to come and be picked up by Titus, and Titus was going to take it to the churches that were lacking and give it. And so really what happens in verses 16 through 24 is they're working out the uh, arrangement of this. But verse 20, Paul makes a good point. He goes, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us, and this lavish gift which is administered by us. Paul says, I don't want any attention on this thing. I don't want any glory on this thing in any way whatsoever. It is God's and His alone. This is not, hey, look what Paul stirred everybody to work up. Hey, look what Titus gathered. Hey, look what the church of Corinth did. No, this is God. This is God. And it goes back to understanding that the way you, know, you need to look at it is if someone gives a dollar, they give a dollar. Thank the Lord for that. If someone gives a dollar with more zeros after that, hey, thank the Lord for that. It doesn't matter. You don't give preference to the person giving the bigger gift. One of the things I'm very thankful for about out here at church is I have no idea what anybody gives. I don't want to know what anybody gives. That's strictly confidential to the people that take care of that, and I don't want to have any part of it because it doesn't matter who gives what. What matters is verse 20, avoid that that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us. It's all the Lord's. If it's all the Lord's, it doesn't matter that who did what or who dotted this. It, it doesn't matter. It's all God's, and we're appreciative of that. Because here, once again, you don't want it to be a burden. Jump ahead to verse 5 of chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. Keep that same idea there of, of the collection. Look at verse 5. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time, And prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. How many times have you felt obligated to give? It's a dangerous spot, isn't it? That's one of the reasons why out here at Harvest, if we ever have a missionary come up, what do we always do? Once the missionary's done, we always stop, we pray over them, we always say is that as a church we're giving a gift to this to support this ministry. And we always say if you'd like more information, if you'd like to talk about supporting them, you can talk to them afterwards. We're not going to pass the plate specially, specifically. And we sometimes have had ministries that have contacted us and they've said, hey, you know what we like to do is to, can you take up a special offering? It's like special offering? We don't even do one offering. You know, We, don't, we just don't do that. And so we always say, if you'd like us to support, we'll take it to the board. We'll prayerfully consider it and see where the Lord's going. Because the last thing we want is for someone to come in to harvest. Maybe it's the first time they've been to church in a long time. Maybe they're looking for a different church. Maybe it's the first time they've ever come to any church. The last thing we want is, hey, 20 minutes into service, we'll stick some bucket in front of your face and say, give. Now, I know some churches that do pass the plate, and i are not putting that down. I know some churches that pass the plate, and they come right out and say, if you are visiting today, we don't want you to give. We just want you to be blessed. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But I've heard horror stories about giving. I, I, I've heard horror stories about giving. Well, I've heard where they've passed the plate, and, and they come and they literally counted the money, and they said it wasn't enough, and they passed the plate again. I've seen church services where they've said nothing less than under 20. It's amazing how this money thing just takes over. Where God says, no, no, you're missing out on it. When you really stop and look at the Scriptures, He says it's not a grudging obligation. So some of us may be thinking it's not a grudging obligation, I don't have to give. Well, verse 6, But this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, nor of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, God says this is not a burden you have to carry. This is not an obligation you have to carry. But verse 7, it's what you purpose in your heart. Well, oh, I purpose in my heart to give a dollar. I suggest you check that out with the Lord first. He will let you know. And as you go through that and you look at that, it's not a grudging obligation. It's not a necessity. Well, if it's not a necessity, why do I have to do it? Because it's part of your Christian walk, I'll be honest with you. And if you limit that area of your Christian walk, you're really limiting a lot of the things. I really do believe this, and I don't want to sound like one of those preachers you hear on TV, but I really do believe this. God does want to bless you. I believe that. And part of the way He wants to bless you is by the way you give, He also blesses you back. That's just a biblical concept. We live in a farming community. If you plant seeds in the ground, what happens? You reap a harvest. You just do. Some years you reap more of a harvest than you do in other years. But you reap a harvest. If you plant into ministries, God says, I will bless you. Now if that's the reason you're doing it and you're looking like at an investment... Your heart's not in the right spot. The reason you do it is because, Lord, I want this money to further the kingdom of Jesus Christ and to see the gospel get spread to the world. Well, what happens if my heart is not a cheerful heart? Verse 7. I've heard people say, well, my heart's not cheerful. Well, so I'm not going to give. When my heart becomes cheerful, then I'll give. My personal opinion, if you do not have a cheerful heart about giving, then I think you need to stop and say, Lord, why is my heart not cheerful about this? What what am I lacking in this that I don't see the big picture of it being a heart Issue. Why am I so clingy to this money and this concept of money? Why is it that I don't want to? It may be covetous. It also just may be a faith thing. Do you trust that God's able to meet your needs? Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. God says, I will meet your needs. It will be sufficient, he says. Now, I note he did not say, I will meet your wants. He said, I will meet your needs you have to trust that when you give that area of your life over to the Lord he will meet your needs one of my favorite passages in the Bible and we don't have time to have you turn there so I'm just gonna read it to you it's Psalm 37 Psalm 37 verses 25 and 26 David wrote I have been young and now I'm old yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging for bread he is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed God will meet your needs Now sometimes let's just be honest and this is a different subject for a different day sometimes our wants have got us in such a hole that it's hard to meet our needs and that's where we have to be careful in understanding when it comes to finances and stewardship understanding money just because we have the money to buy it doesn't mean we should buy it just because we can make payments on it doesn't mean we necessarily should get it you can make payments on anything anything I think I shared this story with you a couple years ago no, and I were looking for a camper. We had X amount of money set aside for a camper. We wanted to do it. We didn't want to go in debt. We just wanted to buy it with what we had. So we called up this guy, and this guy said, hey, I got this great deal on a camper. And he goes, how does a fill-in-the-blank, it was like a 2009, you know, whatever, so many foot, all the trimmings, camera. How, how does that sound to you? I said, that sounded good. Of course it sounded good. He goes, how would you like to have that for only like about 140 months?" month? That sounds good. Now I'm not stupid. How many months am I paying that 140 months? 12 years. 12 years. Now, if Jesus... Was going to return in the next few months, I would do it. <laughs> you know, that, I got nothing to worry about. But the point of the story is yeah, we could do that. But why would we want to do that? I'm not putting people down and I, I want to make sure that was for us. Each situation unique. Everything we you know is a unique situation there. But I'm saying is you can get yourself in such a hole that it becomes an issue. And, you know, quick plug here. Uh, Renee and I were just talking about this before um, church tonight. You know, uh, they do a, they teach a great financial discipleship class, which is by Crown Financial, right, tweets? Crown Financial. If, if this is an issue that's heavy on your heart, where you really like to say, okay, God, I do want you to be Lord of my finances too, I highly encourage you to take that financial discipleship course. It looks like we're going to be starting that up this fall. And uh, it is a very, just want to make sure everybody knows this full disclaimer, it's a very time-intensive course because it is something that you just don't take lightly you really get into it and study this out but you will come out of there with a better understanding of what god means by stewardship and finances and it will bless you and it will truly change the way you look at things so keep your ears open for that for this coming fall because once again it's a trust issue in verse 10 he supplies our need now i know there's numerous jokes about this i'm not going to tell a joke i'm just going to share the punchline because i do find it quite ironic that if the streets of heaven are paved with gold, yet that's what we look as the most valuable item on this world down here on earth. Isn't it a fascinating thing to think that what we deem so much more valuable than anything else, gold, God says, yeah, you're just going to walk on it for all of eternity. Isn't that a fascinating thing? You know, this is not a message to all of a sudden announce that we're starting a building project and we're going to set a little thermometer up the front of the church. No, no, it's not that. This is the beauty of going verse by verse through the Bible. The reason we're teaching on money in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is because a few weeks ago we just finished 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And, you know, if we would do a topical on money, everybody would be scratching their head saying, what's going on here? What's the next project? There is no next project. We do got to fix the sewer out there, but there is no next building project here. Um, You know, down the road and next, hopefully we'd like to do some adding on, but we'll see what the Lord has for that down the road. we got to get this sewer thing taken care of first. The reason we're teaching on this tonight is because, by golly, it's in God's Word, and that's why it's there. And since it's in His Word, let's teach on it. Let's have a real understanding about it. And if it is something that at this time is an issue for you, I cannot stress to you enough, I, I'm going I'm to pass the buck here a little bit. Pastor Renee is sitting right over there. He teaches that. He'd be a great guy to sit down and talk to. I'm willing to sit down and talk to you about it too, but he would probably be better about it than me. Pastor Rich would be good too. They've done a lot of financial counseling and budgeting with people too. It's an area of our lives that we truly want to give over to the Lord and all that we say and do. And... Uh, Guys, it's a blessing. You will be blessed. I just can't stress that to you enough what a blessing it is. So usually I stop and ask for questions, comments, and this is one of those. We want to get the full flow. So it's a little after 8 here, but does anybody have any quick questions, comments they want to share before we close up? Carly. Mm -hmm. Oh, the widow's might. Yeah yeah, and the widow's might is a, is a wonderful story, and I, and I can't remember what translation is or what gospel, but I believe it says that she gave out of her poverty. And you know, sometimes people say, and it's always tough sometimes for me to talk about this subject when I'm doing financial counseling because it makes it sound like, "Hey, Pastor James, just wants your money. I don't want your money. I just want you to, be, to to have the full gospel, the full understanding of what this means as a biblical concept, and sometimes people say, "Hey, money's tight." There's always something we can do to say, Lord, I want to bless you because you've blessed me so much. And something just to plant seeds for eternity and missionaries and gospels. My goodness, what a blessing it is to be involved. To be involved is wonderful thing. Anybody else have any final things I want to say? John. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a great point when we went through Leviticus that talked about that. Some people could do this animal, but you're right, there's like four layers of it. So God was never trying to do a burden on you. That's a very good point there. The blessing was all the same. The sacrifice was all the same. God looked at it that way. That's a really good point. Anybody else have anything I want to say before we close up? All right. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Fathers, we just come to you. Lord, are we